am I doing? You know, I'm going to start preparing before before the show. I'll start doing that. I'll, I'll, I'll write something, you know. I'm a writer. I write. Uh-huh. I'll make images of Mike Pence, apparently, all day. Don't you think he's just naturally kind of a funny character? Mm, I don't know. Well, like I that. mean, funny like an absurd character. I mean, yeah, he's definitely absurd, but... But I mean, he's like, he really is like transplanted. I mean, like somebody I've heard, uh, somebody uh, made a pretty funny joke way back. What do they call, call Biden the senator in chief? Because he still keeps acting like it's, he's in Senate, in the Senate and it's the 90s. And Mike Pence feels like he's been transported from another decade. Did you you read his Mulan rant? (laughs) Yes, I have. So like, you know, whatever the guy actually believes or thinks or whatever in real life, I just, I just find him, I find his, his whole carriage and appearance very funny. He looks like, uh, a brand extension of GI Joe kind of, or a big gym, you know, I just think he's funny. And, and now I put him in the X-Men. <sighs> you, you don't play with stuff like this. You're not playing with all the, the, uh, AI, uh, diffusion stuff, huh? I played with that a little bit. It's unlocking a, it's like unlocking a dream world, John. If I if I had you didn't, you didn't you didn't ask. But to summarize it, the fact that they're so bad and weird and smeary and that the people have extra arms and it doesn't make any sense, it really it feels like something from a dream to me, which I, I find very uh, invigorating. I actually have that whole thing as a topic in ADP, but we haven't gotten to it recently because it's been, you know, from season and everything. So I think I'll still eventually get to it on ATP, but if we never get to it on ATP, we'll talk about it here eventually. Yeah, but but not this time. We're running out of time. It's almost uh, it's almost the end of September, uh, and as long as it is still the month of September, y- you, the listener, like like us, are are obligated to become more aware of childhood cancer. That's was what that, this how, month was, is like, was that a good segue? Was that a good segue? You think? Yeah, I don't know. If obligated is the right word. Okay, uh, oh, you want another take? No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this episode will probably come out. The, t- the very last day of September, maybe uh, it'll come but, out at the but, beginning of October. But, but ass end of September, but there's still time for yeah. awareness and more saliently for our point, money. Yeah. Uh, so Relay is doing its uh, annual pledge drive for uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Like I said, by the time you listen to this, it may be over, but the need for money is not over. Uh, this is the 60th anniversary of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. They're doing what they do, which is providing the health care that is not available in any <laughs> other way in our country, which is uh, health care that the people who are afflicted don't have to pay for uh, and that uh, they're very good at, right? So they specialize in childhood cancer. They do research on the topic. Uh, and if you are unfortunate to uh, have a child who has cancer, they will treat that child with all the knowledge and expertise they developed over the years, and they will never, ever send you a bill of any kind. And also, they'll pay for your food and lodging if you have to come from out of state. Uh, and the way they do that is by people like us giving them money. That's how. Uh, the money doesn't come from anywhere else. You know, it's it's from donations. And so even if the pledge drive is over, you can still go to, I've had this URL will still work, stjude.org, S-T-J-U-D-E dot O-R-G, slash relay uh and give as much as you can yep we uh we appreciate you helping out with that um and there's gonna be a lot of families who also uh 
they uh, they're going to be grateful to whether they know it or not. Yep. And if you're thinking like, oh, I don't live in your country and I don't need to, uh, you know, uh, sad that your healthcare system is terrible. But uh, <laughs> how how does this help me? Uh, there are a research hospital as well. They they work on childhood cancer and they share their knowledge with the world. So uh, even if you don't live in the U.S. and are not subject to our terrible system of government and healthcare, uh, you may reap the benefits of this donation. Uh, but even if you don't. Obviously, children and families who are unfortunate enough to live here will reap the benefits. So please give as much as you can. Wow. American carnage, says John Syracuse. It's true. It's not great. It's the, it's the lack of a system that bothers me. Mm-hmm. I just talk, I was talking to Roderick about this, what we talk about all the time. Just that so many aspects of, uh, of life today where it feels like there's not a project manager there. I, I think you very much one feels that with all kinds of things. Um, but it's especially acute with, um, with healthcare stuff, but yeah, do you think other countries do it better, huh? I mean, yeah, some of them do it worse. A lot of them do it better. Uh, countries that have similar, uh, riches, uh, as our country definitely do better. We pay the most and we get the, uh, the worst for the amount that we pay. Yeah. Also no strodes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is um, one of those, um, oh, thank you very much to everybody for doing that. Um, this is one of those very special weeks where uh, uh, once a month we uh, do a longer episode with some, uh, as John likes to put it, bonus content. We got, uh, you know, uh, you know, sicker goose, wetter challenges, all, all the things uh, that we, uh, we want to give to you, our kind uh, listener supporters. And so we're going to have a little uh, bonus in this one. Uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, your your <laughs> your latest raft of home improvement projects. Is that yeah? A I'm looking at that phrase and thinking home improvement is probably well. I don't know if improvement is the right word. Well, that's the I, no. I, I I immediately know what you mean. It feels like it needs to be in double air quotes. Like it's uh, it's more like um. Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm deep into season five now on on The Walking Dead, and they're mm-hmm. in Alexandria. And there's, you know, so much you got to keep the wall maintained. And Rick is saying you got to get out there and you got to go find holes in the wall before there's a hole in the wall. Remember, we're not just keeping out uh, the geeks, the creepers, the biters. We're also keeping out the, uh, the bad people. And I think that's what you're talking about. You're talking about like home sustainment projects. Well, they're projects and they're in the home. Although, don't get me started on the the home improvement projects that should have been done in The Walking Dead. Like. These are the the least industrious survivors ever. They end up in Alexandria, and in like like five seasons, they just barely maintain this tiny little corrugated tin wall. It's like b- build moats, people. Like just what what are you doing? Like, you have all this time. You're there for like years, and all you do is like sort of let the wall just sort of crumble to to dust. But I don't if it's know. like Grey's Anatomy, it's all just emotional tumult, and everybody's yelling at each other. No, but like they gotta they gotta do some like you know they need some projects, some infrastructure projects. I don't disagree. Well, let me let me respond. Number one, I would love to get you started on that. Uh, please capture that for the list. Uh, but um, but no, I I I, uh, I I agree with you. But yeah, the home thing is God. It's all so fraught, and everything's broken, John just the, everything's it's just it's all crumbling if i didn't have this uh diffusion ai thing to keep me entertained i don't, I don't know what i'd be doing you know I, I i hate dealing i hate dealing with well this goes all the way back to my our stove our oven where it's just like i'm so reluctant to ask for anybody's help on anything 
and I, there's stuff I know I can't do myself. This is not just for home improvement. This is also why I'm collecting a list of things that you're going to help me with on my computer. Got a whole bunch of things I'm going to put you on. Yeah, you keep you bring up the friends, but I tell you, if I to the listeners, if I sound distracted today, it's because when we were supposed to start, my computer decided to flip out, and I rebooted it, hard rebooted it because it had locked up solid, which is very rare occurrence. And then after I rebooted it. Uh, good old MDS store, the thing that indexes files for Spotlight. Yeah, well, what kind of CPU, what kind of CPU usage were you seeing on that, John? Yeah, they, they were looking at a CPU usage that was in the thousands of percent. And you may be thinking, how can it be thousands per is 100? That a, is, that, is that a misplaced decimal point? How is it 1,062.6%? First of all, I, I'm pleased that it is that exacting. But uh, how'd, that, how'd that happen? That, that must be, are you, are you doing swap volumes? What is that? Are you doing uh, page outs? What do you do for that? So for historical reasons, uh, the CPU percentage is listed uh, as like 100% means one CPU is entirely used. But of course, yeah. the, the CPUs have multiple cores these days. That's why you can get a number that's over 1,000% CPU use. But anyway, the thing that was taking it is the thing that indexes files for Spotlight. That whole system, if you ever see MDS, I think it's mm -hmm. Metadata Service or something. Yeah. Uh, if you ever see anything with MDS in its name and it's taking a huge amount of CPU, maybe it's found a file that it can't index. Maybe it's freaking out about something. Maybe it's hung. Maybe one of the various importer plugins has a bug and it's in an infinite loop. Whatever it was, it may have been responsible for hard hanging my Mac. And then when I rebooted, it was definitely responsible for using all my CPU, which in turn caused my fans to crank up, which in turn caused noise that our editor is going to hear when it listens to my track. Mm -hmm. And even as we speak now, one of my fans is still at 1,000 RPM, which is way higher than normally is. Normally, they're around five or 600 RPM. So it's going down over time. And why? Because huh. I excluded my boot volume from Spotlight just to shut oh. the thing up. That's Wait, is that what, what you I go do. To, you go to privacy and add that? Is that what you do? Yeah, that's, that, was, that was my solution. That's what I do for you, the listener, is I'm going to have to re-index my entire volume. Why don't you anyway, help me like this, John? We've, we've been friends for... It's not helping for, this. I'm, I'm just well, like keeping, barely keeping my head above water here. This is not, this is not yeah. help. I'm just apologizing it's to survival. the listeners. It's, for a, my, it's survival. Yeah, for yeah. why I sound distracted, because I'm staring at all these graphs and these temperatures and these fan RPMs thinking, oh, this noise. I'm, so, I'm oh, sorry Are you running iStat so you can keep track of that? No, I'm looking at TG Pro. Mm. Hmm. TG Pro shows me all my fans and all my temperatures and the platform hub uh, platform controller hub die is at 51C and I don't like it. Well, as the lord of the Segway, I will tell you that this is strangely <laughs> apropos of our first uh first challenge tonight. Somebody draw that please. Lord of the Segway, no mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. transitioning mm -hmm. from one thing to another, but Merlin on a scoot scoot. Do you think I would look sort of uh, regal? You'd be lord of the Segway. So I wouldn't be like the regent. I wouldn't be the crown, but I would be like, I would be like, sir, somebody. And I would have, I would have uh, titles and properties. Mm, maybe. I got to work on my succession. All right. So do you, do your, do your transition? Well, that was mostly it. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your online business. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and sell anything, products, services, even the very uh, content that you create. Whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace has got you covered. And there's so many things you can do with Squarespace. They got, they got some bullets here, so I'm just going to cover a few of the ones that I think uh, are super interesting. Here's one. You guys, uh, this curls my hair. You can sell your products on an online store, okay? 
This used to be, just for what it's worth, history lesson, this used to be a whole thing if you wanted to have an online store. Well, whatever you're selling, physical, digital products, you know, even your time, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. It's just part of the thing. You just go get Squarespace and you can do that. How cool is that? Oh, God. I mean, I think arguably one of the things they're best known for or should be best known for are how pretty their websites are. You can get started right now with a best-in-class website template, true. Customize it to fit your needs. Just as easy as browsing the category of, of your business or, or concern, you know, like whatever it is you do. And you're going to find a great uh, template to start with. And then you can trick it out and make it your own, what they call customizing. Just some clicks, some drags. And I, I never goes without saying, people, it's really fun to do. It's really fun to, to, to um, make your website your own with Squarespace. They can just have that one. Now, here's the thing. This is the third and final bullet that I'm going to address here. Here's the thing. People are, might be coming to your website because they don't know who you are. Had you thought of that? Well, how, how, how are they going to find out about you? Well, they're going to have to go to one of the, one of the uh, you know, international search websites to look for you. And for that, we need something called SEO or what we hear in my racket call search engine optimization. Now you're worried about that. You're going to go become an SEO expert. You can go, go, go through the forums and find out, you know, like what the changes. No, you're not going to find any of that stuff out because it's all built in with Squarespace. Get a suite of integrated features and useful guides. They're going to help maximize prominence among search results. Maximize. Do it. Go get in there. Get SEO'd. You know, this is the point where I like to say uh, a true thing, which is that I really like Squarespace. I use Squarespace and I recommend Squarespace. Hey, if you haven't picked up on this yet, I, I don't say that about everything out there. You know, just put, put that in your hat and smoke it. Huh? I've been using Squarespace since Christ was a corporal. I use it for personal websites. I use it for business websites. The part I want to really get through to you today, I also use it. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I recommend Squarespace to so many people who need a place to put their stuff on the web, you know, for business or otherwise. Now, I understand this is a, this is a business thing. They want you to do business, business, business. But I'm here to tell you, anybody who wants or needs would benefit from having their own place on the web that they can take care of, maintain themselves, their team can work on it. Get yourself out of the webmaster business as I did. I, I'm retired now. You know, I, I don't get a pension or anything, but you know, that's, it's nothing new. Um, love Squarespace. So do me a favor, please just me. Hey, hey everybody, it's your pal Merle. Do me a favor. You go to squarespace.com slash this. That's D-I-F-F-S. You're going to go there. Okay. You can get a free trial with no credit card required. No credit card required. None required. And when you are ready to launch your new Squarespace website, use our desperately special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's, that's, that's going to save you money right off the price because you're a listener of this program. And because they're, you know, they bought this ad. But we love them. We probably do it anyway. Well, I can't say. And the point is, I want you to go to squarespace.com slash DIFFS. And when you sign up, you use that code, just do, go and do it now. It's got to be good for you. It's good for me. It's good for little John, little John Syracuse, who's unemployable. And it'll show your support for reconcilable differences. They didn't tell me to say it another time, but I'm going to say it just because I like them so dang much. Squarespace.com slash diffs. 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, I wrote something down last week, and 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 as always, I, you know, it's a first thought, best thought. I just write down like the the thing, and I don't write down any context. Of course, like it would be weird if I was this document such a mess. We really need to work on it. But um, I was 
thinking about, you must have been talking about, <laughs> what was your quote on ATP, the latest? Hey, by the way, congratulations. I generally do not acknowledge, well, I certainly do not celebrate, you know, big round number anniversaries. I think it's weird, but mm-hmm. congratulations on uh, 500 episodes of your understandably wonderfully popular show, ATP. But you were talking about, I think you were going very deep on the kind of why why you have your needs for a phone case, or it might have been a little later, but you were saying, you know, I hate something like I hate to sound picky, and I did I did as they say laugh out loud when you said that because I don't think you hate to sound that way. I might have misquoted you. I don't rem- I don't remember saying that, so it's hard well, for me to get the context. I barely I'm sure remember if I had the context. It. I could explain it. Well, so you were talking about something here last time we recorded, and. Um, I don't know quite. So the question I wrote down to ask you, which, as I say, is just first thought, best thought, is John inoculated against stress? Now, I'll tell you what, that, what, I, what I was thinking when I wrote that down. It strikes me that, and uh, as Rachel Maddow likes to say, you know, tell me if I'm getting any part of this wrong, but you have some characteristics, traits, habits, your, your disposition toward things I'd love to hear you describe how, why you're, well, that we would have to end the show if I knew why you're how you are. But, oh, okay, so so some flashbulb thoughts about John. You like to do things, to use a word I love, you like to do things properly. You like to think about the sort of second order effects of things that you do. You like to think about things down the road. You're the sort of person who will say, well, I don't like that in the dash of my nice Honda because eventually that plastic will turn to dust. You think a lot about not just the thing that will keep your project and life on the rails, but you think about future things. And I think to to the people who love you, including me, I'm sorry to say, it strikes me that I don't know where that comes from, but you're very, you seem, my words, cautious. You seem thorough. You, you think stuff through. And because of your hypercritical nature, you're really good at picking out a, a kind of like something that might happen, something obscure that might happen, something weird and edgy something cornery that might happen. You think all that stuff through. I guess the question is, so when I ask, are you inoculated against stress? I think the answer to that is probably, the easy answer to that is obviously no. But how does how does how you are, however you want to define it or own it, how does, what impact does that have on your quality of life? Do you... Are you like somebody who got good insurance and then you're really happy when something breaks? I mean, it seems like, it seems like, first of all, how, how would you describe how you are? Is it clear what I'm asking you? You you think a lot about stuff that other people don't think that much about. And I think that's one reason that, that we love you. But you're also a little, manic is too strong a word, but like there's no stone that you leave unturned in doing your best to prepare appropriately for, for current and future events. And so tell me if I got anything wrong. Is that how you are? And I'm just curious, what kind of impact does that have on your quality of life? I know this is not what we're talking about this episode, but it's vaguely related because I always think about this when I think about uh, general artificial intelligence or whatever. The idea that you can, you know, teach a computer to think and simulate uh, some aspects of how people think uh, and I'm a big proponent of the theory of the human mind that connects it very strongly with 
the human body. Uh, but really the basic idea is, and this does come up in a lot of AI stuff, uh, that it's a system where, you know, on a, on a very basic level, some things, uh, are good and some things are bad. Some things help, some things hurt. There's pain mm-hmm. and there's pleasure, right? Uh, different systems experience different amounts of good feelings and bad feelings in response to different stimulus. And part of how you can make an AI thing do something is like define this as bad and this as good and here's the spectrum between them. And then, you know, once you've set up those rules and the things that it likes and it dislikes, or to give another example for my favorite things like fitness criteria for evolution, like what makes something survive long enough to reproduce and what makes it die. And you can define your own fitness criteria in this abstract simulation of the computer where you have dots or something like the game of life, you know, but I think in the, in the best case scenario, I think in all scenarios, but in the simplest scenario, you can think of yourself as a system like that. Mm -hmm. And to the degree that I live my life or appear different from other people, it's based on which things get a thumbs up or thumbs down for me and how much, right? Like the, the magnitude. So for example, uh, but it's a little, almost a little bit patterns ish where where you're like, these are like patterns and anti patterns. Like here's a kind of thing that, that, well, just I'm good and bad. I guess I know that's very fraught black and white kind of thinking, but that's within AI. I can see why you would do that. You've got to teach it what a road is before you teach it the rules of the road. It's pretty good. Um, but, but like it, in pattern stuff, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't read the, I mean, I'm not, of course I never read the entire Christopher Alexander book, but the patterns ish idea that we see in things like software is like, these are things that tend, tend to work, uh, in a context, give, you know, given a certain situation, it's not a recipe, you know, like you always distinguish a method versus a recipe, but a, a pattern is a is a mode of behavior or thinking that tends to produce the kind of results that we would like, whereas an anti-pattern does not do that. And even worse, an anti-pattern could be the kind of thing that feels like a good pattern. It's a paradox, right? It feels like a good pattern, but it's actually not. That's kind of what you're talking about. Like well, I, I know that's, that I, that's... I need I need food to live, but if I eat this bag of sugar, um, that may actually be really an anti-pattern, like not good for me. That's the higher level, I think, because that's like an emergent behavior from these more primitive things. So to try to, try to give a primitive example from my my own life where my sort of the, the weight or the magnitude of the good or bad feeling is is uh, not uh, a match for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the books on my bookshelves, right? I have them lined up so all of the spines are in a line, Right. You mean it's almost like when you almost like you put them on a shelf and then you use like a yardstick to kind of push them so that they're all the yeah, same, and, and they're like arranged the, the, by, whatever the depth yeah. of the book on its end, all, they're all aligned and, yeah, and they're arranged by size and or color and or subject and or according to my, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I think most people, if given a choice of you showed them a photograph of like a, a shelf with a bunch of books that are neatly arranged and all lined up in a, in a pleasing pattern, again, maybe by size, by color, but all like aligned. And then you show them a messy bookshelf. Most people would say, yeah, I think that the neat one looks nicer, right? But it's about how much how much pleasure does that give you versus how much pain does the messy one give you? And for most people, it's like, I like that the neat one looks neater, but I don't really care. So it's not that big a deal, right? For me... I feel like I get slightly more pre- pleasure and uh, from the neat bookshelf and slightly more pain from the messy one, enough so that I will make the 
mostly very small effort to, when I put books on the shelves, line them up. Now, if you're not constantly adding or removing books to your shelves, they tend not to move unless you live in an earthquake country, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like this is a lifetime investment. It's just like, hey, when you do shelf books, spend a little time to line them up and make them in a pleasing pattern. Especially if you have bookshelves like I do that are like, a, you know, a displaying a collection more than being a holder for books that I'm constantly taking in and out. Because we have shelves that are like that, but I also have shelves that things don't come and go from these shelves very frequently, right? They're more of a displaying of a collection, right? Right. And it isn't like you're studying for a law exam and you need to grab six books and put them on a big yeah. library table. And, you know, if you're going to watch a Blu-ray, you don't need to pull down 12 Blu-rays. Those mostly just kind of live live there undisturbed. Yeah, and so the so the weights in my system of my brain where I value the neat bookshelf and and anti-value the messy bookshelf <laughs> slightly more slightly more than the average person mm-hmm. make it worthwhile for me to do something about that to maintain the good feeling of the neat shelves and avoid the bad feeling of the messy shelves. And it's not that much more than the average person because again, all it has to offset is the very small amount of time that I spend arranging them once 20 years ago and then we never touch the shelves again, right? Except mm-hmm. for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Similarly, for people who, you know, how much does a messy room bother you? How many times do you vacuum? How much do you dust, right? That is a balance of how much does a messy room bother you versus how much do you hate cleaning, right? Right. And right. there is an average for uh, most average people, you know, when the room gets this messy, they're bothered enough to make the effort to clean. Mm-hmm. Right. And everyone is in a range there. Right. Is it, but it's practical as well as aesthetic, though, because the fact that my wife and I would both prefer that the kitchen be clean, I think f- I'm not going to say it's necessary. Well, I know she cares more about those aesthetics than I do, but I care about it also hugely for the practicality, which is I feel kind of drained of the desire to do anything with food. If we have a refrigerator full of leftovers and expired food and then a sink full of dishes. Right. So, I mean, the thing is, in, in, in but I mean, also like your your books are organized in a way that you know where they are. They aren't all sealed up in boxes. It's just you know, there's more to it than just the just the basic taming of the demon dogs. Yeah, and and it's I mean, calling it a demon dog is you know some somewhat uh, humorous exaggeration, depending on how again, depending on the degree. If you can tolerate a, a dirty kitchen, like that's a good thing for everybody in the house to know. Right. And then, but the, like how much the stress does it actually cause? Yes. And you can, and you can build up from there from these. I was trying to give like a primitive type thing, but there's mm-hmm. emergent, there's emergent properties that go to like, okay, but what about a whole house and how much do you hit cleaning the bathroom versus vacuuming the rug? And, you know, all the way up to, uh, how much time, effort, and thought are you going to put into how the cable is routed from your car mount to your U- car's USB plug weighed against the future that you know from experience may happen if you do a shoddy job. Do you care about tape residue on the inside of your car? How much do you care about your car? Is that informed by a lifetime of reading car magazines? Mm -hmm. Or is that just a modification of your neatness type thing? How much experience do you have with tape? How did you feel the last time something broke that you could have prevented by doing something simple, you know, a year earlier, right? And (laughs) the timing belt. (laughs) This all weighs in your mind. And for lots of, for, you know, there's an average where like, most people care about keeping the things neat, but not so much that they're going to, you know, spend an afternoon doing research on the best tape or something, right? Everybody has those things that, you know, that they're, you know, there's a bell curve of everyone's concerns. And if you could map it into their, their brain, it would be like, which things bother you, which things give you pleasure and how much, and how far do you deviate, deviate from some imagined norm for that particular spec. And then there's interactions between them. This isn't the ideal best case scenario, right? Unfortunately. But your primitive example you're giving is good though, because it, it, it elides a lot of the stuff that could be complicated. Like this doesn't really affect 
if it affects anybody at all, it's going to be people in your house. There's nobody in Zimbabwe who's going to be affected by how you have your books organized, organized, (laughs) one of these days I'm going to get organized. You know what I mean? Like there's, but this is, it's a, it's a pretty pure example, but where you're able to just to highlight what you're telling me and why, like, I think it's good to be able to boil it down to that core of, well, what is, what happens if it's not this way? Like, who does it affect? And how, again, that phrase I keep using, and then how does that what impact does that have on my quality yeah. of life? Well, so the, 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 uh, like the emergent behavior, the complexity, when you add like m- multiple ones of these things together and extrapolate out to all possible futures, it gets real complicated real quickly. Mm-hmm. But sure this, does. this whole thing that I just described is like the best case scenario when everything's working well. The problem that most people have, I think, to a slightly larger degree than I do because of the way I am is uh, making those connections, right? So knowing knowing yourself and your system well enough to know where to put your effort to uh, ensure uh, pleasure now and uh, avoid discomfort later relies on you sort of knowing yourself and understanding the consequences of your actions in a complex system and a lot of people just don't have that because that itself is i totally agree totally agree a, a skill or like and you know lots of people who will talk to me or know me would say that's like a rationality skill uh, that gets thrown around the internet a lot, but like, really it's like, can your, can your analytic brain defeat your emotional lizard brain slightly more than average? And all these things are all slightly more than average. Cause anytime you ever talk about these things, it's not, it's, there is no sort of like, you're, no one's at one end of the spectrum or the other. Cause if you were, you'd probably already be dead. Right. Right. Well, every, everybody cares about something, but it sounds like you're, you're talking also about like, uh, forgive me if I'm repeating or misunderstanding, but I think what you're saying partly is that, okay, it's just because you've sort of mastered or tamed this one area of a system, the thing that you seem good at, and I know that for better or for worse, I'm good at, if you want to call it that, is understanding the relationship between these two seemingly unrelated things. Like knowing that you've got a spare tire in the car is not enough. Is the spare tire full? Is it working? Like, is there a tire iron? And all that might be useless if you don't have a flashlight. Like, I should got a phone. But that's how, that's, my brain is, I'm, I'm walking through these steps. And I, I can blame that on my previous career as a project manager. But it was just, it was project management and things like GTD that just made me aware of how much those frayed ends were causing despair in my life. And then, and, but now today I worry that I go too much the other way. Isn't that part of what you're saying is like the, the way that these, like, if you want to remember to bring a, a book to somebody's house, having it on that shelf may not be the thing you could do the David Allen thing and put it in front of your door. So you have to actually move it before you go out. But isn't it sort of that when you talk about emergent stuff, like EO Wilson-y stuff, it's more, it's kind of also about like the way that these things bleed into each other and, you know, and you in, in the, but again, also in terms of patterns, like, well, you know, Christopher Alexander talks about the uses of space and communities, houses, public areas, all that kind of stuff. But in your case, like, you you have an uncanny ability to see a novel interaction that isn't, it, it isn't just like some kind of crazy magical thinking. It's an actual thing that could happen. Hey, if you bump that, it might fall down and hit this thing, right? And that, that's, I don't think everybody has, I can tell you for sure, there are a lot of people that do not have that same curse or ability as you and I do. Or, or it's not important because when the thing bumps and falls down, it bothers them less than average. 
or yep, maybe evolvers exactly. than the average amount or whatever. But I, I feel like the the like the rationality and analytic part is important because mm-hmm. very often when something happens that causes you displeasure or pain, uh, attributing figure tracing that back, attributing it to something. What what in the past caused this reality? To, I don't like this thing that's happening now. Mm-hmm. If I what could I have done differently to prevent it? Could I have done anything to, differently to prevent it? Right. Uh, tracing that back in the moment is very difficult because emotions come into play. And like, I'm not really separating emotions from anything else. It's all the same, like pleasure, pain stuff or whatever. But very often the ability to to analyze that in the moment and 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 provide an accurate explanation instead of getting mad at yourself, getting mad at someone yeah, else, try, trying to uh, find somebody to blame you know, for mi- why this happened. Mis- misattributing it to whatever, you know, or just, whatever. Or just the, the, the category errors that a lot of us suffer from of, and that I, again, I think you're good at this is you avoid that category error of saying, oh, well, you know, this can, this container of Freon fell off the bookshelf and fell onto the table. Well, do we need a bet? Do we need some way to like keep the Freon there? Well, no, why is the Freon there? It should be what you know what I'm saying though. And that should be somewhere else. That's that's or, a category. Or like error. just getting lost in the idea of I'm so stupid. Every time I get nice things, I always break them and just you know like there's so many emotional rat holes yeah. that you can go down that yeah. you know that everybody feels. And it's not like I don't go down them. It's just it's like it's it's a it's a game of inches here, right? How much can your rational brain how can can it get an edge over the emotions that every human feels? You stub your toe, all of a sudden you're unreasonably angry at the end table. The end table is an inanimate object. Why are you angry at it? Everybody gets angry at the end table. How long does it take for your rational brain to kick in and say, mm-hmm. the end table is not actually your enemy. It's it's a piece of wood. It's like, <laughs> it's, you know, and what, whoever or whatever you're about to get mad at because your toe hurts. Yeah. Like, let, you know, th- th- that's is an instantaneous battle that happens in all of us. And, you know, in adults, your rational brain always wins. You don't actually go into like, that's it. I'm going to take out the end table and chop it up with an axe. Like people don't do that. Right. You know, we're, we're all somewhere right in that in the middle part of the bell curve. But like how how much more powerful is your rational brain than the the worst angels of your nature? And, and in my case, it's slightly it's got a slight edge. Mm-hmm. And that slight edge is all it takes because that slight edge repeated, it's got a slight edge over my emotional part because and it's not, again, not the, this always annoys me, not the emotional part isn't there. It's not that the emotional part isn't strong. It's not that you don't have feelings. No, not no, that no, you're, no, you know, no. You're, you're like, you're like a Vulcan. It's like Spock's, Spock's father explains to him, you don't understand. Like we actually have experienced more emotions than a lot of humans. It's just that we've learned how to deal with that through this now, use of I, rationality. I feel like the ways Vulcans are portrayed in Star Trek is not a healthy way of dealing with well, your emotions. And, and so I'm going to set why that you, aside. Why do you keep throwing Spock into the school hole? Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, they, their system is not great. Well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not here to, I'm here right, to stand but, like, for that. I, that's why I always buckle against it because it's a thing I've gotten my whole life. Yeah, of, you're like, a being robot told or you're, you've got OCD. robotic and don't have feelings yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And obviously that's I not true. I don't do that because I know it I know it bugs you. Right. But anyway, so like that's, you know, it, and it's difficult to, to deal with that. But like, you know, you understand why it happens, whatever. But mm-hmm. like that's all it is, is this game of inches. This, you but know, it's, and so, it's that same kind of like crappy way we treat other people of like it's it's another it's like a maybe a first cousin of why don't you just syndrome Mm -hmm. where you're you're telling people you're basically like making you're at judging somebody's behavior or desires priorities whatever you want to call it as you basically it's just like what do you what why why are you why do you why do you care if there is a dent in your computer why do you care if there's like a nick 
on the handle of your car door or like, you know, like whatever. Other people were just like, oh yeah, you know, whatever, no big deal. And so, but the, but then they, one might try to use that in a, in a mean Vulcan way against you and go like, oh, you're just really weird. You're a weird alien because you care about this stuff. I in particular don't care about. Yeah. And knowing that you feel that way can also allow, again, allow your rational brain to say, even though I hate the fact that there are dings in my cars, I have a hierarchy of things that I have to care about. And this is getting pushed way, way down, which is why my car is filled with things. <laughs> like, you know, do yeah. I like my car being filled with things? No, but like, move, move I have to a, so it's many, a category error, John, move, move to a neighborhood without trees. I, I have so many higher <laughs> priorities that that's just a thing that I live with and I'm able to be fine with it because I understand why I'm living with it. Like you can't live in a perfect world, right? You know, it's so anyway, this is getting back to your original point about being inoculated against stress. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not inoculated against stress. I have tons of stress. It's just... Like, it's a question of, like, what what is the source of that stress and how do I manage it, right? So hopefully I'm not getting any stress from any of these things in my life that is described. I can tell you right now, uh, most of the things that I describe, my bookshelves, my fancy TV, my computer, whatever, except when it's malfunctioning, don't really cause me any stress because those are handled and dealt with and I'm familiar with dealing with them. You know, like, that's the easy stuff, Right. The harder mm-hmm. things are obviously dealing with people, relationships, things you can't control, like just, you know, right, right, Ill- right. illness, death, when, when weather. When people put, put something know. where your phone goes or where people put something where my seltzer goes, I, I, I more than I perhaps would like, I bristle a little bit because I'm like, just because there's a space there right now does not change the fact that that is my space for this thing. But like, am I going to make a whole thing about that? Well, only with only with you will I make that a whole thing. And, and if that's that's what everybody does, they want to have what they would say. I have, quote unquote, my regular life handled so that you can spend your time concentrating on the actual stresses of your life. Of Again, things that things that you can't control or yeah. things that are bad due to mistakes that you made. And how do you manage it? Like the big stuff, right? You don't want mm-hmm. to spend your time stressed about and worrying about where your keys are in the house or anything like that. And, if, you know, if you can devise a system that is going to make sure, according to your, if you want to call them demon dogs, fine, but according to you, things that cause you pleasure and you pain that are mundane, that you've figured out how to live with yourself in such a way that those fade into the background and you can put all your energy into dealing with stress, either new and unfamiliar stress. To give an example of a new and unfamiliar stress, I've got, I think I've talked on the show, I've got my first colonoscopy coming up. I've never right. done that before. It's a new and unknown stress, right? Yeah. I've never yeah, had yeah. to deal with it. I don't know what it's going to be like. And and there's not there's not a surpassing number of things that you know as a rational person. There's not a surpassing number of things you can do to convert that anxiety or disease disease into something that makes you feel better about getting a colonoscopy. There's not that many things yeah, except right. trying to like fool yourself. And so there's room for that stress in my life because of the elimination of all the other stresses of things yeah. that I don't have to handle. And I understand, you know, it's it's sensible to be worried about a weird medical procedure involving your butt and also involving all the stupid prep for it. And I'm sure I'll talk about it on the show or whatever, but like it, you know, so am I inoculated against stress? No, but I feel like I, I do a good job of trying to focus my energy and worry and anxiety on on novel things, on things that, uh, on the things that really count, like, you know, like just the important stuff, right? Because if you spend all your time fighting like the last war about, you know, uh, every day you're super duper stressed because you can't find your keys so you can't leave the house because you can't find your car keys or whatever, right? Uh, That, given my particular makeup, that thing is a thing that 
I feel like I have mastery over, but then there's other things that I don't, right? And every, that's true of everybody. For some people who don't have mastery over finding their car keys may not worry at all about their colonoscopy. Because again, that's everybody, everybody's different. It's just that when, you, mm-hmm. when people look at me and see the things that I care about and the way I live my life, it seems different than what they do. And it, that's just a, a, an artifact of being slightly outside the middle part of the bell curve in lots and lots of categories. And it adds up to seeming weird to people, right? doesn't mm-hmm. seem weird to me because everybody living their life is, this is gets back to my theory of AI. Everybody is essentially min-maxing their pleasure pain stuff. It's just that there is, you know, if your pleasure pain stuff is kind of like most other people, your life ends up looking normal. Not because of, you know, it's just because that's how your, that's how your brain currently is and the state that it is. This is what gives you pleasure. This is what gives you pain by what amount. That's actually kind of near what everyone else does. And so you seem quote unquote normal, but everybody has different values for those stats. And there's a lot of those numbers Uh, and you get enough of them going off of average, even by a little bit from the outside that adds up to a person who you look at and say, that person is living their life differently than uh, in in a way that I find surprising or weird. Uh, And so, you know, you know, it seems odd to other people and, but we're all doing, we're all doing the same thing. I love that you're bringing in that angle of. I forget exactly how you phrased it, but the angle of like, and how much does it bother you? Because that's, I guess in some ways, that's a little bit of a, that's a linchpin for understanding. I mean, there's this part of me that wishes that, like when I use that phrase demon dogs, and you know, I, I, we, I don't know, Roderick and I have used that phrase a lot. And I, I, I know it's a term in the parlance, but there's a part of me that kind of regrets how much I've leaned into like, you know, shrugging going, oh, you know, it's my demon dogs. Because, like, we get our demon dogs for a reason in one way or another. It could be because of genetics. It could be because of trauma. It could be because there's all kinds of things that, you know, there's late onset everything <laughs> title. There's all kinds of reasons to get how you are. But, I, I, but, like, the aspiring Buddhist part of me is very attracted by the idea of, like, how do I how do I get a better relationship with the things that I that I in the world that I wish were a certain way but aren't, you know, and, and don't end up dragging myself down some kind of a very kinetic negative route where I'm like, you know, wondering who screwed up my deal. The the not being bothered by it is always an option. There's a scene in um uh, John Hamm has a new movie out that's really funny. I, I like it a lot called Confess Fletch, and he plays Fletch, the character most of us know from Chevy Chase movie. Um, and it's really, really funny. Uh, there's this wonderful scene where, uh, and you, you know, the Fletch kind of character, he's always having to like pretend to be somebody else and get information. And, you know, imagine like an, an uh, like a, a noir send up. Yeah. So he goes and visits this woman um, who lives next door to the, the place where he's staying. And uh, God, she's so funny. You might, nobody's going to remember this, but me, but she was the nervous flyer seated next to Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids. She's really funny. And she's this character who's like, oh my gosh, look at that. The lights work. I guess my check didn't bounce. And then she goes in the kitchen and the dog pees on the floor. And like, she's, she's incredibly distracted and she's smoking weed. And while she's cooking, her scarf catches on fire and, and John Hamm like pats it out, you know, that scene, it's very funny, but it really struck me how often I, or perhaps you feel like John Hamm, where it's like, are you not noticing that? you just cut your hand open with a really sharp knife. Like, don't you, don't you think you should deal with that? Should you maybe have a different approach to how you use a knife? Like if your scarf's on fire and like, I hadn't been here, like what would have happened? Um, 
I feel like I have that kind of fraught relationship w- with a lot of stuff in life. And, you know, de- demon dogs or whatever, demon dogs are, are just a canine version of experience in some ways. You can go too far with anything. You can say, oh, you know, oh, we're never going to use that company again. Or I'm, you know, it's like I, I said to my wife recently, when it comes to like airlines, cable service, and cellular, like you don't get that many options ever. Like you've got to make your peace with what's there. Um, I don't know. I, but, but, you know, so, so again, the, the question I know sounds odd to ask if you're inoculated, but do you feel like, let me put it this way, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. For me, uh, it's kind of like the guy with good insurance thing where like I, if the lights go out and I'm able to get to the fuse bag, cause I have a fuse bag, the fuse bag has an air tag in it. It's got a flashlight. It's got fuses and it's also got, I think it's called flash tape on the outside. So it glow like, like, like you put on stage to do marks in a theater production, like, you know, just basically glow in the dark tape. There's a part of me that's always like, ah, this is where I'm a Viking. Cause I can find this. I know where it is. I'll get there. The, ever the batteries in the flashlight are charged and I can go and do this thing that I don't like doing. But if I got to wake up at some point in the middle of the night and go change a fuse or go deal with, and that's just just one example. If I've got to go deal with this thing that can be very disruptive, um, why do we have our, why do we pack for travel, tech travel the way that we do? Because we don't want to have to run into that. You think through what's going to happen. You walk through it. But there is a small part of me that's kind of, I don't know the word. It's, It's embarrassing to admit if 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 because uh, we live in a hovel, if the fuse blows, I there's a part of me that's really happy, proud, fortunate. I I'm pleased with myself that I took the time to make sure the fuse bag is how it needs to be. Do, do, is that do you? What is your feeling when an inevitable thing happens and you plan for it versus not inevitable, but when you run into a situation where you plan for it versus didn't plan for it? How does that, how does that hit you emotionally? Uh, what you said before about the the scene in Fletch, with like uh, the person patting yeah. out the uh, the scarf being on fire, and how you look at that, and you and you you think like, do you see what's going on here? Did you see that your scarf caught on fire? Like, if we were in here to pat it out, what would have happened? And, and just to be clear, she's she is not she's not noticing this. She's not bothered by any of it. When he when he pats out her her scarf, she goes, Oh, thanks. Like she's just uh-huh. utterly, if you, if you like oblivious to all these right. things, she's like Mr. Magooing through her life. Yeah. And it makes obviously makes John Hamm think what's happening here. So the, the humor value in that is because the, the sort of the set of values, the, the set of weights and values on all the many variables having to do with pleasure and pain that would lead someone to have their scarf catch on fire and not notice is so outside the norm that it is humorous. Yeah, uh, but I think we all feel that uh, that's that's exactly what people think when they look at me. Like I'm far enough outside the norm on enough of my weights that they look at what I'm doing with my life and say, "Boy, that's that's you know that's odd and perhaps in a funny way, right?" Everybody yeah, you, takes you've gone whatever, beyond belt and suspenders, right? You know everyone what I mean? You've gone to this level values. that's inscrutable to some people. Yeah, it takes their own values, and when they look at someone how someone else is leaving their life, they they put themselves in that position and said, "I can't imagine." doing that. I can't imagine the lights going out and me having no idea if we even own a flashlight, let alone where it is, right? Like, because you, what you're doing is saying, I know if I was in that situation, here's how I would feel. And so I see someone else in that situation and they're doing things that I wouldn't do. It seems odd to me. And that can quickly translate into, 
Here, let me help you poor person with your scarf on fire to show you maybe don't wear a dangly scarf over the guest stove when you're cooking because that's a bad idea because it might catch on fire. And look, it did catch on fire, right? Yeah. And they might say, uh, sure, but I like wearing my scarf. And when it catches on fire, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. And you say, like, yeah, but you might die. And it's like, but I didn't die. And you go back and forth and back and forth. And what it comes down to is like, mm-hmm. you know, pleasure and pain, good and bad, different weights on different things, right? To give you the example of if, like when, you know, the, you asked, the question you asked me, like, if, you know, you love it when a plan comes together, lights go out, you're, you're Johnny on the spot, you know where all the things are, stuff like that, right? So obviously you're getting pleasure. I'm, out getting, of, I'm getting probably, if I'm being honest, I'm getting a dopamine hit out of the one in 5,000 chance that my anxieties about the future and fears about the past um, were allayed in the same way that really, in some ways, to be honest, it's not dissimilar from the feeling of procrastinating about something and getting away with it. It's a similar dopamine rush, I think, where I'm like, oh yeah. So Mr. You know, Mr. Tightly Wound, Ms. Mr. Spock here, maybe, maybe I'm not so stupid to have a fuse bag with flash tape on it. Yeah. And there's like that, that whole, I mean, it gets complicated. I've been trying to use simple mm-hmm. things like, uh, you know, preparing for a blackout or arranging the shelves, but it gets really complicated when you get into all the things that go towards someone not wanting to do that. So, so the oh, traveling, idea, like what, starting with what time should we be at the airport? Right. So some people might look at that and say all, all the prep stuff we talk about for like getting things prepared and having things aware. Someone might look at that. Another man perhaps might look at that and say, uh, the amount of, <laughs> of thought and effort and worry you put into getting to the airport early, preparing your bag, make, doing a checklist for all the items I feel as unmanly or uncool because my what's important to me and my weights means that it's really important for me to feel like I am a confident, cool, collected man and appearing to care that much about these mundane things makes me look weak, uh, you know, too worried, like un- unconfident and not cool. And so mm-hmm. that weight outweighs any feeling I'm going to have when I get to the airport and I forgot my toothbrush is, you know what? I can just buy a toothbrush on there. Who cares? Yeah. When's the Good last thing time I you didn't... saw Montgomery Clift looking really worried about a USB-C cable? Right. And, and we apply value judgments to that. You can say, well, that sounds like toxic masculinity. That's bad. Being prepared with a checklist, that's good. And there are, I'm not saying these are not, these are without, uh, (laughs) these are without uh, values because there are ethics and morals behind all of these things in these large systems. Again, toxic masculinity, bad. I think we can mostly agree on that. But like, that's the complex stew that goes into the decision making is not as simple as let me convince you that you should know where your flashlights are, because if you don't, this bad thing will happen. And you'll never convince someone of that because you're they're working with a different system and a different brain and a different set of experiences and a different amount of pleasure and pain that they get from all these things that can be so complicated. There's like seven, seven novels worth of the life that they have lead lead that led them to the set of values that they have. And you're not going to unwind that by explaining very carefully how it's important to have a spreadsheet with your flashlights in it. (laughs) If anything, you're going to get blowback effect. Yeah. And you know, things get real complicated real fast, but, uh, but like that's, that's basically how I look at, these type of scenarios like when if i you know if if, some, if a plan one of my plans comes together or one of my plans falls apart that's a thing that i have to deal with in terms of myself i don't really you know and this is i, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how another person would be in that situation but we you know we're all human and we've all i mean my pot half my podcasting career has been berating people to do things so that their life would make my brain more happy to be in it 
<laughs> make multiple backups because hmm. you lose your pictures of your kids, which I worry about all the time. You don't worry about it at all, and you should worry about it because if you lose your pictures of your kids, yeah, you'll be you're, sad, even you're, though you don't think you'll be sad. You're trying to tell the world your scarf is about to be on fire. Right, you would. And that, and that I think, is also part of how we communicate and relate to each other. We all talk to each other about how we live our lives with suggestions for how people might uh, improve their lives by doing things that we have done that have made us happy. That right? used to that used to <laughs> exactly be my career. Yeah, and and honestly, it, honestly and, that's the the whole point of well, really, the the Wisdom Project is is not any different from forty three folders, which is it just started as a way for me to be a little bit vulnerable in public about something I've tried to be less bad at. And to say, hey, you know, maybe this is something you might want to think about, you know, as as mm -hmm. well. And kind of the, how we share like whatever, you know, 80 something percent of our genetic material with a banana or whatever. People aren't, <laughs> even though we, we differ. That, is it like, a particular banana? Yeah, no, just any banana. You know, it's a monoculture. Every, every banana has one banana, right? Yeah, it's the same banana. Um, <laughs> how much could it cost? Mark? Like, because we humans, like these, dif <laughs> these differences are tiny, right? Yeah. Where there's enough commonality that's that we can communicate and we can, you know, have have a, a, a thing about what, what was that lady, the condo, right? Marie Kondo. Yes. Her whole deal, like there are enough people who are close enough to her whole deal to hear that and say, you know what? I had never thought of it that way. I think maybe that would help me, right? It's, it's, well, that's the, like, that's you definitely know, true of a, the well, very different and yet oddly related. That's very true of the Peter Walsh book. Um, it's all too much, which is like that, those kinds of books can really, I don't, I don't, I don't need, you know, uh, you know, whatever, 60 pages of 20 point type about how I should say goodbye to my broken dishes. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need what don't I do to say need, thank you. Thank, thank you for your service. What I do need is somebody is this, is this, uh, this lovable Australian saying, Hey, look, you know, you, you're trying to be rational about this and you're doing a demon dog thing, but what you're doing with the objects in your life is at odds with what you think is happening. And to cut to that chase, you developed, without knowing it, you developed a very unhealthy relationship to physical objects that is not aligned in a way that you think it is. And so, you know, talk about category error. Like, why is it hard to throw that thing out? Well, I can't throw that thing out because that will mean I don't love my grandmother. You know, the, the, those kinds of things. But... The, um, yeah, the other people part is really complicated. It's because, uh, you know, no one wants to look like a fool. I'm personally, obviously not overly obsessed with like people thinking that I'm like a manly man. I, I have traits of lots of things probably, but like. But you definitely don't want to feel like you've been had and you definitely don't want to feel like a fool. And that's different than not wanting to feel like a manly man or not wanting to feel cool, but it's in the same ballpark. And everyone has, you know, everyone has all those feelings. It's just a question right. of degree. And the degrees are really close to each other, but a little nudge in one direction or another can make a lot of difference. Yeah, I, I can't think of a great example, but like, for example, our neighbors, uh, whom I love, um, he's like a, an EMT. Like he's, well, you know, whatever the high level one is, he's like practically a cop or a fireman. I mean, maybe he's technically a fireman too, but anyway... But like somebody like him, God, it, just, it reminds me of that uh, that wonderful, terrible uh, Welsh children's show, you know, Farm and Sam, where like there's this one village in Wales where there's so many fire problems and the fire problems are almost always happening at the firehouse. <laughs> Norman Price is always setting something on on fire or, you know, Jessica, what's her name? And, you know, Murder, She Wrote, how do all these people keep, keep dying in this old broads town? If you know you 
knew better. If you screw something up, let's 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 say the things that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants a fire at their house. If there's a fire at my house because I had not taken care of something I know I should have taken care of, I can already pre-feel that almost endless regret of I should have known better. In the same way that my neighbor might think, oh, you know, if I'd remember to have, I don't know, some kind of, uh, oh, like a, um, but not a Jaws of Life, but like, a, you know, it's one of those life-saving, you know, break the glass, cut the seatbelt kind of tools. All I'm trying to say is that everybody has things where they feel like they learned and they know better. To know better, there's, again, we're back to heat, like touching the stove. That's how kids learn. Well, there's lots of ways kids can learn. That's one way. But like, if you, if you like put your hand on that hot stove, you're going to think shame on me because I should have known better. And, in, and I, you could, somebody could, I think, fairly legitimately call this a demon dog, but I already pre-feel that feeling and don't like it. I sure don't want to feel that feeling when my house is on fire and I know it's my goddamn fault. Yeah, another important skill in this toolbox related to this is kind of uh, like like what uh, the thing I described. You might looking at it if you and if you know what OCD is, actual OCD, not the thing people think yeah, is OCD. Real you would OCD. realize that one of the, the, the no, hallmarks people talk of that, about the O's, but they don't talk enough about the yeah, C. Yeah, uh, the hallmark of that is uh, feeling compelled to do a thing to avoid pain and get pleasure response, and that thing may be a thing that doesn't make sense to other people. And if you just operate in this thing of like, well, this is the way my brain is. Some things bring me pleasure and some things bring me pain. And so I just like, just like you, I just do this, you know, I try to avoid the pain and seek out the pleasure. And for me, that just happens to be checking the door a lot of times or, you know, uh, thinking this thought over and over again. And if I don't think, uh, you know, like, and so one of the treatments for OCD, there are many of them, but one of the most effective ones is, I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, like exposure Where you therapy? basically, where they like say, say the thing that bothers you is like, for me, like, okay. Say the thing that, you know, you get really upset and you can't leave the house if one of the books on your bookshelf is, is crooked, right? Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's affecting your life. Like you spend, it's like, I need to, get, I can't get to work on time because in the morning if I see a crooked book, I have to remove all the books from the shelves and put them all back up and put them in line, right? You know, this, this is the difference between, hey, I like it when my shelves are neat slightly more than you do and I literally can't get out of the house on time because if one book is crooked, I have to unshelve them all and put them all back. Like, so there's there's a range in this behavior. Right, or 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 the, the need to count my children when mm -hmm. we're out in public has made my life unmanageable and has made me potentially a, let's be honest, not as good of a parent. My amount of concern, my compulsive behavior about, and that's, you've heard that one, right? Like, or like the fear your kids yeah. are going to be thrown on a subway track. The compulsions track. that can be, can be literally anything, but the, the, you know, the, what people are doing in that situation is there, I think that there's a phrase where like feeding the beast or feeding the monster is they do what everybody does, which is let me avoid the painful thing and do the thing that makes me feel good. It just so happens that those things are that, like the pain and pleasure are cranked up so high and the things themselves are so not connected to any sort of rational purpose that it seems ridiculous and the way they treat them is say okay if it bothers one of the ways they treat them is if it bothers you that your book is crooked intentionally make a book crooked and then sit there and just let it be crooked for like the whole day and people can't yeah, do that for yeah. the whole day first you let it be crooked for 30 seconds then you let it be crooked for one minute then you know and you work your way up over long painful effort to eventually retraining your mind to say okay well i guess when the book is crooked the pain has diminished because i've done it so many times now and i've built up from it being crooked for one second for being crooked for 10 seconds you know you're putting the emphasis in some ways i'm talking out of my depth but when we think about cbt like cognitive behavioral therapy what you're describing there i think 
I've never heard of it with OCD. I've heard of it with phobias and stuff like that. Or Yeah, that's expo- exposure therapy for pho- phobia. Look yeah, at a picture right. of a spider, be in the same room as a spider. Eventually, six months later, you touch a spider, right? Yeah, yeah. Or like those, this book I read not too long ago about anxiety. And this guy had a patient, a client or whatever, who like had this insane fear of like being on a plane and having a like a heart attack. And the way it compounds and you get this, uh, such an ironic phrase, a positive feedback loop. Because if you're worried about having a heart attack, you know the first thing that's going to happen in your body probably, your heart starts beating faster. And it feels more and more like you're going to have a heart attack. And then that, oh gosh, I hope I'm not triggering anybody, legit. But um, but then that also becomes this bigger thing. Because like then let's take it to the next level, which is like, oh my God, this plane's not going to take off because I'm going to have a medical emergency. I'm probably going to poop myself. And then, then I'm going to be on Instagram or something like that. The, the, that kind of thinking, even if you're not quite that elaborate, you know, you know, status, I'm realizing more and more as I read more about these topics that status is always an elephant in the room for these things. And, you know, we, we joke about the OCD-ish thing of like, you can't leave till your, till your books are straight. Well, you know, the, your life becomes a little more unmanageable once those systems start interacting in ways that aren't wholesome, but aren't also aren't things that you're totally aware of. You you may not be aware how you are. We talked about this with our mates and how we are. Um, I mean, that's going to have a big impact on you. And back to the category error, if your solution to that is, well, I'm going to start working from home so I can make sure my books don't move, hmm. that's... That's maybe not the best solution. Um, and maybe something like this exposure therapy-like thing can be a way to say, well, with OCD, the O and the C, th- those interactions are so brutal. It's just, it's terrifying to to think about. But I mean, I do feel like there's a practical component to these things. There's there's something, a practical component that you do sometimes have to fight. Like I mean, like the book that I'm reading right now called, uh, you know, uh, Why Buddhism is True is about evolutionary psychology and biology and this idea that there are these residual things in our system that were much better suited for an earlier version of ourselves and now mainly function to create feelings that are real, but feelings that do the kinds of things that would have kept our genes circulating thousands or tens of thousands of years ago, but now mainly in a world full of like exposure to strangers all day on the internet does not suit us well not for status, not for integrity, as in wholeness, not for any of those things. And that there are times when you have to look at that feeling or look at that hunch or look at that intuition that you feel like has served you so well and ask yourself how often that resulted from a dopamine hit because you got to go realign your books. And like, that's complicated stuff. The evolutionary biology explanation for that, regardless of whether it's actually true, is an important thought technology because it lets, it gives people leverage against these things. Because if you tell them that thing, that idea, that thought technology. Yeah. Like you, you don't need an appendix anymore. It, it that's, give, that's a physical It can give thing. them an upper hand on that. Because like, so yeah. OCD is, is an interesting one. But it's like very small children have it. Uh, it's sometimes difficult for very small children to know that. Uh, you know, it's not actually important to, to turn the light switch on and off six times before you leave. Like to them, the emotions and feelings of it feels good when I do this, it feels bad when I don't like that. I have to. You don't understand. I have to do that because I feel so bad if I don't do it. And feeling it is the only way I get relief. The O part, the obsession takes over. If you haven't if you haven't briefly succumbed to the compulsion, the compulsion is behavior. The obsession is the, the thought pattern. Yeah. 
And that, that just comes right back around and feeds on itself and grows and grows and grows until you've done this tremendous amount of internal world building around a light switch. Well, and for little kids, they can't, it's difficult, it's more difficult for little kids to- The whole world's a mess to little kids. They don't understand anything. To, to understand that, you know, yeah, but the light switch, it doesn't actually matter, right? Whereas adults with OCD very often completely know that their their obsessions and the compulsions that they respond with don't make any sense. Yeah, and then it might even develop avoidant behavior about situations that they know right, will because they know it doesn't make any sense. They're not going to defend it. They're not, unlike the little, very little kid, they actually know the archive and they feel shame about this feeling not making any sense, but they, they nevertheless feel it very strongly. And on top of that, they know it doesn't make any sense. What they need is a, you know, a tool to get leverage. And if it's, you know, evolutionary biology explanation gives them a little bit of thing. But that's that's the whole like, you know, exposure, you know, response type of thing where like if you keep feeding into that, despite the fact that you, your rational brain knows it doesn't make any sense, but you know you feel these feelings and the relief is kind of like, you know, doing drugs, the relief you get from uh, the compulsion is fleeting, decreasing, increasingly fleeting. Right. It's, it's decreasingly yeah. satisfying. Yeah. And, and the, pat- the pattern gets stronger. Right. And so and the, only, the you know, the this is like the thing that no one ever wants to hear. But like one of the most effective treatments is, OK, uh, get in the situation, but don't uh, do the compulsion. And that's so hard to do. And you have to start at the super easiest level. Again, it's kind of like the exposure therapy for like spear, spear spiders, where it's like, I'm going to show you a picture of a spider from 100 yards away. That's what that's step one. Right. Let's do that today. Uh, like doing that and sort of building up your ability to tolerate not engaging in the compulsion in the tiny it's like training a dog in the tiniest little increments eventually six months from now you'll be able to leave the house without messing with the light switch but it's going to be such hard work to get up to that point and that kind of hard work that's pain people want to avoid that they're like ah i'm fine i'll just yeah yeah your your brain really kind of wants to be in i think it's called default mode network kind of wants to be in that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to describe it's basically mm-hmm, that kind of feeling of like oh there's nothing really going on i might have idle thoughts nothing's really bothering me too much or pleasing me too much like i'm just kind of like hanging out you just i'm just doing what i always do clicking off this light switch on and off 50 times before i leave the house it's just what i do and it's sort of fine and, and but you're describing it like where it's really i mean and i don't I mean, I, I don't, you oughtn't say, I don't know if you, I don't think either of us, I, I know I don't have an OCD diagnosis, although there are definitely aspects to my view on the world that align with both obsessive thoughts and compulsive, compulsive behavior. I, I'm not sure like what that fits under, but the, the, back to that quality of life issue though, it's like if you can't find a way you, you got to figure out, like, are you going to push the rope? Or are you going to pull the rope? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, because so often the, the very core of what you're talking about is, hey, I had this feeling. I don't want that feeling again. And that could be because something happened with a priest. It could be because you loaned somebody your car. There's all kinds of things where you go, well, I know I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to use this company for cable access again. Like, you know, and there's a part of that where, like, yeah, that that is learning. But like, did you learn the right lesson from that? Uh, right. Most of the, most of the time, the lesson there is I feel shame or again to throw toxic masculinity. I feel like less of a man for being suckered by this company that didn't yeah, serve me no, the way I ought to, to be feel served. Like a, like a mark. Yeah, yeah. You you made me look like a fool. Uh, you yes. owe me an apology from the was that <laughs> Popeye. Popeye. Popeye? It's uh, Olive Oil's father. Olive yeah. Oil's father. Yeah, right. That factors very much into the the uh, the 
the reaction from anyone, not just men, but like to, to get angry at the airline or to say, I'm never coming to this restaurant well, but again. It, it goes, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it goes for everybody because what you're talking about is, yes, it's status, but it's very much associated with coolness, maybe in the Miles Davis sense, but it's definitely having to do with like emotional control, right? Can you, do you have the executive function to rein in your emotions and to be unperturbed? But the other one that goes for men, women, everybody is competence. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like somebody who should know better because I do know better and I operationalize that in the way that I interact with the world. But the things that we care about and the things that will happen if the thing we care about doesn't go the way that it went is so different for everybody. So are you gonna, in your, in your you know, armchair therapy version of this, are you gonna try to care less, care about something else, or build an entire like Rube Goldberg system for ensuring that your books will always stay the way they are and put a camera on that and a backup camera. And I've, I've, I've tried to hunt a mouse in my garage, so I'm very used to these kinds of things. Yeah. And everybody feels all these things to, to some degree. As again, it's a matter of degree. Nobody, nobody feels great when the airline screws things up. Everyone feels like uh, I should use a different airline next time. And I hate this airline. Like everybody feels all those things. Uh, you, one of the big factors is often, uh, enough, uh, you know, people don't want to also like we see the videos of someone getting like super angry at someone at like a McDonald's or whatever, and yeah. they get passed around the internet. It's usually to show, can you believe this person? How can you believe how mean this angry customer is being? Can you believe how outside the norm this customer's behavior is for a situation that they should be handling better? That's why it gets passed around. They're essentially shaming or ridiculing or you know, or otherwise and saying we've, we've all been in the, we can understand so much about that situation. In that case, you're looking at, or like the things that were going around different, but like the people who are going up to like tables and restaurants and yelling at Asian people, you know, during COVID, there are these kinds of things where you're like, I know if I was there and I saw that, I would think that this is atrocious. But then there's also maybe this part of you that's like, I've personally, I've been that guy in that line, not, not maybe to the extent that I've gone viral, yeah, no, we, but we've all, we've all we've been all in situations. That. He's not the most people, I mean, most normal neurotypical people aren't doing that because they have other options and just want to shortcut it. It's like, you know, <laughs> I've missed the last three flights because of you guys. And like, now I'm not going to be at the wedding and you're not trying to help me. And now I feel incompetent and weak and sad, and I don't get to go to the wedding. Yeah, and, and the difference between someone who does that uh, chronically versus someone who doesn't is how much, because the, another feeling people want want to avoid is the feeling that everyone is looking at them and saying they're bad, right? Uh, so, I, and again, the, the, the phenomenon where millions of people pass view a video and shame them on grand scales is not the solution to this problem, to be very clear. But having the self-awareness to know that after you yelled at the gate agent, later reflecting on it and saying, I don't, want to be the person that I just was because I feel like if you know you see yourself in your own little self-recorded video of yourself and saying I don't want to be like that and right. that has to balance against the next time you feel that angry you know the the balance is uh you know I I would need to yell to relieve this this feeling that I'm having but on the other hand last time I did that I didn't feel good about myself. How strong is each one of those? And a lot of times people lack the self-awareness to ever get a view on themselves as being, and to feel that the shame. Right, but especially if they're immediately looking around and pointing fingers at all the people who made it that way. That's, yeah, yeah. it's just a question of finding more more people to get angry at. And that, those yes. are the people who do it chronically. Like they'll do it, you know, they'll do it their whole life. Their entire life will just always be the person. And if you if you interrogate them about it, they will always say, 
there and the right and they are justified. And you say, well, that's a bad person, right? But what they're missing there is often just the simple self-awareness to be able to put that counterbalance against that, that other people have a little bit more of. And it's not to say they have no self-awareness. They probably do know in their heart of hearts that they went over the it, line. It may not, but John, it may not even really be working. That's the thing is that, is that, you know, it's all, I don't know, like with, with like, you know, child predators and murderers and stuff. Like when you caught, when you caught them, like don't assume that was the first time they ever did that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's probably a pretty good chance that, you know, people tend to be, how can I put this? This is pretty insightful. So be ready. People tend to be how they are. And then sometimes people have a bad day. And, and you push a you push a lady over and stomp on her luggage, but I think I think you're right. I mean, like the the funny part about that is that like, is it effective? Like, you know, the the phrase that we've all grown weary of in a in a mainstream comedy. How's that working out for you? Yeah, that's that's uh that's what I was saying before with the thought technology of evolutionary biology. So people always it's always find it useful to give them a thought technology or an idea, something to give them a handle on something they didn't previously have a handle on. Mm -hmm. A great example from movies, sorry to spoil this movie, uh, fast forward 30 seconds if you don't know, but like uh, American History X, which is about a uh, white supremacist, uh, Ed Norton plays a, you know, oh, right. a white yeah, supremacist yeah. guy. Like the the pivotal point scene, single line of that movie is this, uh, you know, Ed Norton has gone through this whole thing. He's a white supremacist Nazi guy. He's in jail. He gets like gang raped by other other white supremacists in jail. Jesus, it's terrible! He's he's at his lowest point. He is he has hit rock bottom. He's in the prison infirmary. He gets visited by the person who's been trying to talk him out of being a white supremacist for the whole movie. I, I forget who it is. Um, and he says this one line to Ed Norton, which essentially gives Ed Norton a handle that he didn't previously have on these things. Because and the handle is like, you know, can you do you see yourself as you are? Can you do you you know? do you have self-awareness about what's going on? Do you, you know, the handle that you didn't previously have, right? That everyone on the outside has, they can see and look in, on your life and see what's going wrong, but you can't see it yourself. And what the person says to Ed Norton is, has anything you've done made your life better? And that that is the, that one line is the handle that he needs to say, you know what? I did start out as a kid and my dad hmm. was was a racist and then I joined the this, you know, the the KKK or whatever became a white supremacist. And I was in a gang and we we beat up and killed people. And now I'm in jail and I got gang raped. And it's like, that's <sighs> such a stupid thing. Like, you know, of course, everyone on the outside is go understands this guy's screwing up his life, right? That he's he's, you know, he's the antihero of this movie or whatever. Like he's not we're not rooting for him. He's you know, we we think as a person he's he's gone wrong. But we're like, we can all see like, don't be a white supremacist. It sucks. You suck. Stop. Right. right. And. And, and kind of like the alcoholic who needs to hit rock bottom before they kind of see where they're going. This guy is in the prison infirmary after getting gang raped, be, being, you know, with, with swastika tattoos all over his body. And just at that moment, he's ready to hear the most mundane, stupid thing. Has anything you've done made your life better? Right. And, and then he and he wakes up and says, you know what? This whole white supremacy thing is not working out for me. Mm -hmm. This sucks. I'm I'm a bad person who's doing bad things to people and I feel bad and it's not making me feel better. It's like, what am I even doing here? And it takes, you know, it's a, a testament to the quality of that movie that they can bring you to that point and have that line not sound stupid. Like to actually have it emotionally land in a degree where the audience goes, oh, you know what? You're right. And then, you know, of course, he does hear that message and snaps out of it and becomes a different person and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, it's not, so, it's not a super happy ending to the movie, but like, right. that's the arc of the character. And I think about that all the time of like what, you know, 
what things are you doing that are so obvious to other people who are looking at your life, uh, given their set of weightings in their brain, but are not yet obvious to you? And how can you, what is it that's going to give you a handle on it? This is going to give you a little, that little bit of extra leverage you need to see yourself as you are, or to see the way out of this that everybody else sees. And they've told you a hundred times, Hey, you know, maybe you should stop drinking. Like how many people hear that for 30 years? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then like thir- on year 31 says, Hey, maybe you should stop drinking. You go, you know what? Maybe I should stop drinking. Like I don't, I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't know like th- that actual how the mechanism works. But everybody has something like that in their life. Absolutely, that, yeah. that that is obvious to everyone that they've been told a million times that they're not ready to hear until they are ready to hear it, and then a light goes on. And so that, that's just the way our stupid brains work, unfortunately. Um, follow up. Can you think of examples of? that I imagine involve other people or maybe especially family, but you think of examples where you developed that sort of um, self-awareness, that consciousness where you decided, you know, maybe this, this is a thing I need to care less about or some version of that. Can you think of examples where either happily or grudgingly, maybe because you learned something about yourself or maybe just to like get along for a calmer life, are there examples of times where you said, um, this just needs to not be as big of a thing? I mean, there's a million things that I suck at, mostly involving having to interact with uh, strangers and other people I'm acquaintances with. But the ones that really make, uh, that, that come to mind are the things that I've spent more time and energy on that are more relevant, which is like, one, being married and in a relationship and, and having a spouse, and two, being a parent and having kids and being in a family. Both of those things will kick your butt, no matter who you are, because you're not prepared for them <laughs> before you've done them. Because right. and they're a lot harder and more complicated. Make sure than you, you catch think. up on sleep before they're born. Yeah, thank yeah, you. right. Like, but just everything having it. to do with with like you know, and the 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 curse of parenting, which is which is an explanation of why grandparents the way they are. That's grandparents are typically the way they are. The curse of parenting is that. Only by like, you know, the, the joke is by, you know, screwing up one or more kids only by doing it wrong for the entire life of a kid. Do you eventually learn, you know, potentially how to do it better the next time? But there is no next time because now you're old and you're not and you're emotionally you're still obviously emotionally involved, but you're not as emotionally cleft to like things being a certain way with those particular kids there. Well, no, but you, you have to learn which like how to reweight stuff. Because you know what result you want. I want a happy family. I want a good marriage. And But you're still working on what do I need to do to minimize and maximize pleasure and pain for myself. And, and, and you know, it's like, well, I want to have a happy wife, but mm-hmm. I know what makes me happy is and I have to learn what makes them happy. And I have to, sometimes they're in conflict and how do I manage that? And then it just gets even harder with kids are thrown in. And it's like that stuff where you have no experience with it until you do because you know, little kids aren't married and don't have other kids usually right so that and that's so complicated and so in your face and so constant that i've had to change a lot of how i do things to mm-hmm. get to the end goal which is you know to try to try to to try to achieve the goal which is like happy marriage good family like all that stuff requires necessarily changing Many things about how you would do things if you were living on your own. That sounds so stupid and obvious. Well, duh, of course, but it it doesn't though. But I mean, but there's also the stuff where, like, if you've got the kind of tendencies, roughly, that we're talking about, you can also be the kind of person who says, "Well, we should really put like a bumper on the corner of this, 
or or that you know what I mean. It isn't isn't all just about going. Well, I guess I'll just get used to being late for everything. You know, like if that's what drives you <laughs> yeah, crazy. Every, yeah, everyone in the family has their things. The person who's always early, the person who's always late, the person who's too cautious, the person who's not cautious enough, and to managing that between everybody and figuring out how you can like ideally you combine your strengths. Not ideally you you combine your weaknesses and yeah. just love, we're the worst of everything right you become you the opposite to. of a super team <laughs> right exactly like <laughs> we'll combine the person who who is vulnerable to fire with the person who's vulnerable to water to make one superhero who's vulnerable to both fire and water form of a fire monkey yeah this this person as you add more superheroes whatever their weaknesses just add up until you end up with one superhero who is weak to everything his name is his name is the singularity yeah so that that exercise of you know, dealing with other people that you live with every single day. I mean, starting with the easy mode of like, you know, uh, siblings, roommates or whatever, and, and cranking up to marriage and family and parenting, you know, and then the grandparents, like the, the reason the grandparents over there is like, now, finally, you know, it's uh, what the, the line from the emperor and Re return of the Jedi, uh, young fool, only now at the end, do you realize basically mm -hmm. when you're, you're a parent, it, you know, you're going to be old someday and your, and your kid's going to be grown. And at that point, you will have the maximum amount of knowledge of how to be a parent. And it's useless to you because your kid is, growing, you know, it's like, well, if I had to start over now, boy, I sure learned a lot raising those kids. And that's why grandparents are, are, behave so differently very often. They're all the good they did cops. As parents. <laughs> because they're like, now I know all the things that I screwed up. And the kids are like, yeah, thanks a lot. You screwed me up. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's, like, but, that's that's brutal. But I know now and now with the grandkids, I'm going to do it different. And they just make different mistakes with the grandkids, obviously. But it's but it's still like that's it, it's it so explains why uh, why grandparents act so differently than they did as parents, because it's the, the curse that like you can't <laughs> you can't you don't get a trial run. <laughs> being, yeah, so, there's no there's no like Nathan Fielder there to like create a rehearsal yeah. for you to like utter, utterly adapt and fall completely into this new world over which you have zero control. Yeah. Can I do an 18 year trial run? Okay, now scratch this kid. All right, now we're going to start with the real kid. Yeah, <laughs> they should always stretch it with a burner kid. That's right. Just, yeah, just an 18 year rehearsal. That's, uh, we don't, we don't get that opportunity. And, and that comes up because uh, marriage and parenting, even though they sound boring and mundane, are probably the most uh, challenging things that most people will do in sort of the normal life. People who aren't climbing Mount Everest or running ultra marathons or whatever. And even for those people, uh, parenting and marriage may be the hardest thing they ever do. <laughs> right. Yeah. This, this book I've been reading um, references uh, that research or that, you know, basically the thing where like if you, there are people with certain kinds of conditions, including like uh, having extreme seizures where I, I, I think you know this, but like there's a pretty extreme thing they can do where they separate the two hemispheres of your brain and you're able to keep, you know, doing most ordinary things, but it'll be in very, very f odd places where that disparity will show up. I think CGB Gray talked about this in that video, You Are Two, that I'll find for notes, similar kind of idea. But one of the things I love in that is that with your when your brain is severed, and I, I, I I'm not a scientist, let alone a good reader. But the the what they're what they're saying here is like if people look at this thing over here, the the left side of your brain is giving you information. You know, the left side of your brain is uh, telling you like how to talk, and right side of your brain is anyway, etc. But there's a person who like has that severed brain, and they they're basically they, I forget what happened with the cue was, but they get up and start wandering around. And the person says, where are you going? And the person goes, oh, um, I'm just going to go try to find the bathroom. 
They weren't trying to find the bathroom. They were just reacting to stimulus with, with their severed brain. And first of all, really freaks me out physically, mentally, emotionally, the idea of somebody severing my hemispheres, like I need those. Um, but it also is unavoidably fascinating to me in terms of the pipes and wires setup that we have, you know, however we have. And like, you know, I think this happened with maybe not Frida Kahlo, but you know, the people who like, there was the guy who was on a streetcar and like a rod went through his head. You know, there's those kinds of extreme cases where you learn these odd things about the way your brain works. And when you get down to that level of the pipes and wires, you know, when you're inside the inter-organ idea of how this nervous system, inter and intra-organ system, like works together, I find that a little harrowing to think about. When, you know, this guy can get up and his, his brain makes up an excuse that he's looking for the bathroom. He wasn't looking for the bathroom. And that's AGP Gray video. The one side of your brain tells the other side of your brain, here's what it is that you're holding. There's a side of your brain that can't identify what a nut is, but the other side of your brain can tell your hand to manipulate objects in a bag to find something that's a nut. I think about that all the time now. There was a, a I think it was a Nova episode about this that I saw when I was a kid. Um and I, I, I think that CGP Gray video goes into similar things, but it was, uh, you know, people experimenting on someone who had their hemisphere severed for, I forget what the reason. Uh, and it was, you know, the, the part of it is just really understanding that these people aren't like pretending or whatever, but it was, you know, uh, you divide it. So they, so there's like a, a board that goes right between their eyes. So like there's the, the left side is separated from the right side. And what they would do is they would put like a roll of tape in his left hand and they would ask him what's in your left hand. And he 100% knows it's a roll of tape. But unfortunately, hmm. uh, the side of his body that knows how <laughs> the to, side of the brain that 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 can recognize and, desc- and then describe that is yeah the, the side of the, the side of the brain that can put a, a name to the thing oh, and God, speak John. it is separated. I don't need to and hear so this right even now. Though, oh my God. Even though he knows it's a roll of tape, yeah. he knows 100% what it is. He cannot say roll of tape, nor can he write roll of tape, nor can he find the words roll of tape. What do you say? Because and the second you move the little blind, so his right eye or, can see that, and the right side of his roll of tape instantly, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is, you know, people don't like it when the machinery, like that's the same reason optical uh-huh. illusions bother people. When you learn how, how, uh, how, our, how our body and minds work in ways that, don't seem obvious until we, you know, you can, you can point out yeah. the bugs, right? But and it's, apparently, it's, not, it's not that it's a rabbit and a duck. It's that it's a rabbit and a duck and a ra- it is, it is what it is. It's just a line drawing and your brain is using light to tell you what kind of a thing you're looking at. And it's always been both. It's an old lady and a, it's an old lady hag and a, a fancy uh, Gibson girl. <laughs> Yeah, or the ones where uh, they, you know, you see colors that aren't there, or see motion that doesn't exist, or we'll swear. Oh, you see gray... a bunch of squares, and there's gray, like gray fuzzy dots. Yeah. We'll we'll swear that these lines are curved, but they're straight. Or this color gray is whatever, and the and the, and the separation of the hemispheres is like how you know for, for us with brains that have the hemispheres connected, it's impossible for us to imagine knowing it's a roll of tape and not being able to find the words roll of tape and not being able to say the words Absolutely. roll of tape. Absolutely. Because it's like how could you, if you either know or you don't, and but but the hemisphere separate. It's like yeah, but you don't know, you don't know that the knowing and the connecting to the words and saying are actually two separate things that happen to be physically in two halves of your brain. Yeah, the system the system for you is working as designed, and then your confidence about feeling like that is a again integrity that that mm-hmm. is a whole and healthy system has never needed to be reexamined. Yeah, until yeah, until the the railroad spike goes through your brain, until your hemispheres are severed, or like you you know you go to the haunted house and you touch the peeled grapes and they tell you that they're eyes and the spaghetti mm-hmm. is brains and all those kinds of things, like 
it, you know, I know that that sounds like a trivial example, but even just like to just to wrap it back to the beginning, playing with this AR stuff and doing things with, you know, figuring out a text description that I know AI will stuff, make. not AR. Yeah. What did I say? Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. I think it's AI, right? It yep. is AI. Um, yeah, sorry. They, but like, I have to think about like what it is I want to type. I think about how to improve it. The time that it takes to render it, I'm already thinking about, you know, how I want to change it. And then when it comes up, it's some eldritch horror that has like three arms and Mike Pence's hair or, or, or whatever. And it's like, I, and as I said, I, I don't know if it'll make it in the episode, but like I said at the top, one reason I love that is how dreamlike it is and how much there is, and maybe not an in internal logic, but it's a lot of these AI things, you look at me and you go, oh, I see what it was trying to do. I, you know, based on the number of steps and the guides and all that kind of stuff. But like, my God, John, we, we these systems in which we have so much confidence and investment are, are ultimately so flimsy. And like, I, sometimes I think that these habits of mine are, I don't know if they're duct tape, they're at least gaffer's tape as a way to try and keep all the hemispheres of my life taped together. Yeah. Just waiting till we all get a brain frog from COVID, and uh, that it doesn't take much to throw a monkey wrench into the workings of our mind. Uh, <laughs> oh, Reading read all these stories about brain fog, which is you know the the nice way of saying brain damage. I wonder if I have it now that I have a smooth manatee brain. I've been wondering that, and I am finally getting my super booster on Thursday. I'm very excited too, but like I'm terrified of something like that turning into a. I don't need a new chronic thing. Yeah, I mean, everyone's, you know, if you have dementia in your family and, and you've seen that I happen to, to older people, you're like, I don't want that to happen to me. But, you know, hey, what can you do? Yeah. Keep doing those Sudokus. Mm -hmm. 